Welcome to another episode of Meet the Soccers with Skylar and Jeff. But Jeff, uh, currently having some internet issues, trying to trying to get him into this room. But we have a special guest, Mr. Harding Royster. What up? You Thanks may for know- having me. <laughs> oh, you're thank you for thank you for joining this humble, very humble podcast. Uh, but it's it's a pleasure to have you both as. A longtime friend and a soccer diehard. Uh, so, uh, Harding, why don't you tell tell us a little bit about your yourself as like a soccer fan, your background, your teams. Give us all that good intel. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm your classic, um, more recent convert. You know, I, I think like soccer was always the World Cup thing um, every year because I, especially growing up in the South, it was all football all the time. And then it was 2010 World Cup that caught a lot of people's eye. And then it was 2014. I decided I should probably start following the world's most popular sport. So, you know, I uh, became an Everton fan. And then at the same time, New York City got another MLS team. And so then I became a season ticket holder for them. So I kind of went from zero to 100 very like overnight which has been great. And it's been great because you can go all in on this sport and it doesn't ever seem like there's a, a moment where there's nothing going on. Was it in 2014? Was it that Tim Howard, uh, us performance against Belgium that did it for you? Or were you already in? I I think it was even before I, that solidified it. I think it was before that. I think it was just, um, I was, what was funny is that was the first time, at work where they, where they allowed everybody to watch it. I think that's become more like acceptable in the workplace, depending on where you work. And so everybody was just so excited about it. And then as I was trying to follow from game to game and like learn about the different players, I just remember thinking, you know, it would probably be a lot easier to know everything about this if I just followed the sport all the time, um, rather than like, okay, who's playing? Where do they play? What team are they on? So that, um, I, I pride myself on being a good sports fan, regardless of the type of sport. So if you're going to be a fan of something, you got to go all in. And you, and you do that and you, and you totally do that. Um, so, so a little context for our listener, uh, or listeners, um, basically Harding and I, when, when I was living in New York city years ago, we, we Harding brought me a few times to NYCFC. MLS games at Yankee Stadium, and I had such a great time uh, going with Harding that I ended up getting a, a year's season ticket. But Harding has been doing it ever since. Yeah, you, since the beginning. So you're you're like an NYCFC OG fan. I is I am what they call a uh, what is it a, a, a an inaugural season ticket holder, I guess historic inaugural they love their firsts in that club they're six years old so you're like the uh the benjamin franklin of nycfc in a lot of ways yeah i i think that's a completely fair analysis yeah analogy yeah in that you were there at the beginning and you are a philanderer and you right (laughs) correct and i like to tinker with things and wear funny eyeglasses yeah that's about me 
How have you felt? I mean, I know it's been a couple of years now. How have you felt uh, with with the matches still being played in Yankee Stadium? <laughs> oh, do they play at a baseball stadium? I wasn't sure. <laughs> it's 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 become. It, it is literally the only talking point in any match thread on Reddit. So in, in any any MLS subreddit match thread, all people do is bitch about the field. Look, it, it's not an ideal situation. We were so, I don't know all the ins and outs, but essentially they had a place locked down and then de Blasio came in and kiboshed the whole thing. And, you know, I think what people don't realize is, except if you live in New York, you can't just buy land in New York and plop a stadium down on it. Like that's not how this stuff works. Um, the team is very dead set on finding a location in the city. They don't want to do what Red Bulls did. I don't hate it. Look, I know it's a small pitch, but it's regulation. It's also just really convenient to get to Yankee Stadium. So I want my own stadium. We all do. I think the only thing is, is accessibility and making sure that it's right off of a subway. Because if you don't have that, like going to the Red Bull Stadium is not ideal. Well, I just know from the, my my many lost years in Boston uh, and being yes. being a yeah. New England fan, it's like I think I only made it out to a Revolution match one time. Like I've seen more Revolution matches in New Jersey than I did in Boston. <laughs> well, I like it's it's the classic. It's also the thing of uh, MLS 1.0. They put all of their stadiums in these like weird suburb areas because they were which, cheap. Right, it was cheap. And like for some places, I think it's like RSL. Eh, whatever, the drive doesn't look that bad. But like if you look at where Chicago plays, a big city, it's terrible. They are right next to the Midway Airport. And it's like, who wants to go down there? Oh, yeah, yuck. You're no. so you're you're about to go to what I have experienced, not at not at a match, but just going by as a really nice stadium. You're gonna go to Portland. I am. They're gonna go for all the marbles, baby. MLS so, Cup. Wait, so it's is it is it is are the Timbers in the final? Sorry, I, I. Yeah, so the way it works in MLS is uh, the it's there's a home field advantage. So whoever oh. has the best record gets home field. Um, there's no neutral site, although a lot of people have been lobbying for it. So, yeah, I'm going from never having attended anything or even I haven't even I don't think hung out with uh, Timbers fans when they're in the city because obviously the Timber Army is very passionate. So I'm going from none of this to going to an MLS Cup game at Portland. So it's going to be crazy intense, and I can't wait. So the the Portland Stadium is basically right in the downtown, and that's one of the coolest things about it. I mean, I don't yeah, know if it's officially yeah. called downtown, but like I remember walking around and just all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. the Portland Stadium's just right here. Like it's it, twelve minutes from my hotel. It's I love it. A twelve minute drive, twelve minute walk. Walk. Oh, that's perfect. So you're are yeah. you gonna get just I mean, politely obliterated? <laughs> so well and so one, I totally forgot that it's at noon over there. It was three mm. it's three PM Eastern, and so that's what I kept saying. I was like, Oh, that's nice. So now it's at noon. I mean, the challenge is there's actually people out there that I wanna see. So I'm trying to balance like after the game to like go see them for a bit, then come back. I get, it all depends on, I don't know, the third rail is the, the fan group and I'm staying yeah. in the same hotel. So I, I and I also know that um, they tend to make visitors get in early. So my guess is we're going to have to be in our seats by 11. So they don't want any ruckus. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to do, 
I want to make sure I don't like SantaCon black out this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, could, I, I could totally, I have hung out with the third rail. I've gone to some Philly games with them and we tailgated for like two and a half hours and it was the roughest bus ride home I've ever seen in my life. Speaking of the roughest bus ride home, uh, uh, finally our co-host Jeff Vitkin has joined the podcast. That was a rough bus ride to this podcast on an internet space, (laughs) man. Uh, Jeff and Harding, Harding Jeff. uh, (laughs) You know, Harding, we, I don't know if you recall this, but we have met, it was like five years ago at Halloween and you were dressed as a nunchuck. Oh, a nun named Chuck, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, I had I had just gotten off a plane from Asia, and all I had was like my friend's weird eyes wide shut mask, and I looked like a loser all night. <laughs> yeah, I put my yeah. Wow, I'm glad that left such an enduring uh, mark. I, I I think part of it was like I was just so embarrassed for my crappy costume. <laughs> That I was like, oh, that was like, that's a costume that took thought and someone had to order something on Amazon like a week ahead of time. Like, that's way beyond what I'm kidding. Dude, New York Halloween is no slouch. Like, I don't even like New York Halloween, but you have to to go (laughs) up. You have to admit it does not slouch. Nope. (laughs) Jeff, you you could have done like a Jim Halpert costume. You'd be like, I'm an expat and just worn your clothing and and done like an anti-costume. I'm entitled. (laughs) (laughs) So this is this is great podcasting for everyone listening at home. But just to catch you up, Harding was talking about how he's an OG NYCFC fan and was just going into how he's going to Portland for MLS Cup for the final uh, and how his hotel is 12-minute walk to the stadium, but he can't get obliterated because it's a noon match. That Now you're caught up. What? Why can't you get obliterated? I, well, so here's the thing is, well, one, I've seen... Like, I guess it's like the old man in me, right? Like, of course, I'm going to tell myself these things. There's a couple of people, there's some friends in Portland who I've really wanted to, like, just see whenever I was out there. So I'm going to go see them. And I did tell them, I'm like, I may show up looking like a dirty, dirty <laughs> drunk person. And they were like, cool, awesome. I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah, the game's over at 2, so I can meet you maybe 2.30 or... <laughs> but, like, for any of us who've ever done day drinking... When you do that pre noon day drinking, that is a different level. Morning, six p.m. pain. It's rough, and so I look. The third rail is not known for their, uh, I guess, um, moderation. So I'm curious to see who falls out later. By the way, uh, call back from a long time ago. Uh, the old man in me is the book I'm writing about my Catholic school experience. Uh, so. Uh, uh, do you want to write the insert? Do you want to write the book jacket forward? That's two jokes in a row. Rather poor taste. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, all right. So speaking of in poor taste, great segue. So Jeff, Arsenal fan. Harding, Everton fan. Let's do this in reverse a little bit. Reverse chronology. We'll go back uh, in time. Yeah, so can we just please go past... back in time and replay that match? <laughs> or, or, or we can start. We can start Harding if you don't mind. We can start uh, with the uh, L meet the El Sacerico Derby, which is Arsenal Manchester United. Where you're not going to believe this, but Arsenal lost a heartbreaker in the last minute, three two. Now <laughs> you would you would you're probably not familiar with that kind of scoreline. A um, new kind of feeling. But the whole time I had been talking with Jeff and I'm like, Jeff, Aubameyang's going to score a brace. This is your match. 
I was feeling very much like um, concerned because Carrick's final match before handing the batons over to good old racist Ralph Ragnick. Were you actually concerned or were you just executing a very, you know, textbook reverse jinx? I don't believe in jinxes. I don't. I don't believe in souls, spirits, God, anything like that. So okay. definitely, I definitely was a little low self esteem for this match. Uh, but Je- uh, Jeff, I'll just give you the 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 last word on that before we jump to Arsenal Everton. What, like, how did you feel about it? Like, I felt pleased, of course, to win, but at the same time, I kind of was just like, eee. like I felt more for you in that moment than for me. <sighs> Well, that's just because you're a better person than I am, Skylar. That's all. Um, I think, I mean, both of these games, I mean, it was. It, there's a really like a weird parallelism between them because it's like both are games that we played probably good enough to deserve a draw. You know what I mean? Um, you know, at in Goodison Park with this team, like a draw is like a reasonable result, right? Like, and I feel like, yeah. you know, we sort of played what I felt like was pretty close to good enough to deserve that. But then I guess it, it's just the old problem with Arsenal where it's like, if if you try to milk a one nothing lead forever, like I know that we wrote a song about it over here at Arsenal headquarters of 1-0 to the Arsenal, but you don't have to win every game that way. And in fact, it's rather hard to win games that way. Like if you just decide to not score anymore, like that seems to be an advantage for the other team. Um I don't you're, know. Bar- you're burying the lead a bit. Uh, Harding, what happened during that match? At I mean, well, it's funny because I was just about to say, I it's something that Everton, in my brief stint as a, as a fan so far, that Everton struggled, has continued to struggle with so much, I think especially under Martinez, whereas some teams just, you, you, defending a lead, you just have to be more aggressive. It just, you cannot sit back and invite pressure. Some teams are really good at doing that if you have amazing de- defense and organization, but I think some teams, you just have to keep the pressure, you know, up. And I think it, I also think Everton, quite frankly, one, the crowd was rocking. And God, I do think rocking. Everton's a place where the, the energy really does help. I think also just... I mean, it really, it makes you think back to those COVID games because they were saying like there had never been seasons where people had won as many away games as there had been during the, um, yeah. you know, the COVID. And it's like when, when you were watching that game, like even just like from my television set in a different country, it was like, wow, it would be hard to play with 40,000 people screaming and wishing you to screw up. You know what I mean? Like this is, there's a reason why. And even like some of the calls, like there were so many VAR calls that went against you guys in the moment, you know, Rich Arlison had his like a VAR hat trick, but it, I think a lot of those, the reason they weren't called correctly on the field is because like you try making that call. You try arguing with 40,000 people who are screaming at once and they're all from Liverpool. Like that's a tough, uh, well, not, not to insert United into this United list conversation, but during that same COVID <laughs> <Skyler> season, <laughs> well, we, we, we were 29 <laughs> games unbeaten away from home, but getting the shit kicked out of us at home. So to prove your point, yeah, that like those audience, like there's no oxygen in those stadiums if, if there's no people there sort of mm-hmm. being that 12th man. But you get back to it. Wait, who, who scored the winner? And what was Damari the Gray. The, yeah. the carding, how much did he cost again? I think it was like one and a half million. And, and wow. like what's crazy, maybe two. And what's crazy about it is he... Um, it, it was literally a shot he previously just missed. 
Right. Like he had the same exact shot earlier in the game, but this one happened to just sort of ping in. And I think, I, I mean, I think the team was fired up. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm sure like a guy like Seamus Coleman was telling them, you better freaking win this freaking game. You've got to win this game because the fans you are going to mute me and kill us all. Than that. <laughs> like, listen, guys, freaking, I'm freaking, freaking pissed. <laughs> Stop hecking around out there. <laughs> You bunch of duff heads. Get on the board. <laughs> I honestly think uh, is it was an electrifying win. I I'm I'm not lying when I say I think a little bit of desperation was involved. They've got I mean Everton has just been dreadful. We are every well, team's rebound hookup though. Like there's no team you want to play more when you are screwing up than Arsenal. Like we'll come score one goal and then let you have a comeback to restart your season. Well, we started reading about Rafa Benitez getting the vote of confidence, which is normally that's like, oh, our relationship is fine. Our relationship, we're fi- we're gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, kids, don't worry, it's not you. Yeah. So yeah, so, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah. No, Jeff, you are you are truly a giving team. We really in are. That regard. Well, you know the thing is like it it helps to play against a team that can't score, and we just can't score. Like. I think in the last in the last five or six games, Obama Yang has had like sixteen chances and put none of them in the net. One of those chances was a pen. You know what I mean? What you gotta do, you gotta let the other team's central midfield two footed tackle their own goalie and then shoot. That's the move. I was gonna say that that move seemed to work pretty well against you guys. What did you sorry, so that goal that you're referring to is the Smith Row goal where De Gea was down. Was it Fred that had like yeah, f- committed just, such a perfect cheap shot on De Gea? Like the no Fred, look. Fred was doing a, a classic hokey pokey move where he said, You put your both feet in, you put your both feet out, and then he just took out our own keeper without looking. And <laughs> De Gea didn't see who had cleated him so he just rolled around like he'd been jfk uh in yeah. dallas clearly none of my players would do something so <laughs> brutal and stupid i don't me. really remember jfk grabbing his ankles and rolling around at that in dallas i'm yeah. not jfk's J- last words fall on the floor nominee john fitzgerald kennedy <laughs> he's just like ah, ah. yeah no marilyn monroe <laughs> marilyn monroe's just like yeah um so so basically, yeah, like I, there was a moment of debate uh, in the in the Arsenal Manchester United text thread about what had happened and if it was a goal or not. But then once you see that, like, no Arsenal player was involved, yeah, it's just like a it's 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 a, it a, a, a legit it's a legitimate goal, just the dumbest goal you'll ever see conceded. I'm very surprised that it didn't go the other way though, because what I was expecting. Because I think what would normally happen is the ref, as soon as he sees the goalie on the ground, sort of just blows the whistle right away, no questions asked. And then maybe he sees that there's no foul and you restart the game. But because he's blown the whistle, you know, the shot that comes in right after the goalie is rolling around on the ground in pain, pulling a JFK, like that shot doesn't count. But because he didn't, um, Play you know, the whistle. it's kind of it's one of those weird, like, well, I suppose that is the right call. But <laughs> it's a little bit strange. And, but it, it it gave us a game, uh, and then it finished, of course, with well, Ronaldo going all Ronaldo. <laughs> Not a lot you can do about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to belabor that match uh, a ton because we have Harding here. We have we have uh, a a first hand Everton guest. Yeah, please please welcome please welcome yourself. 
Um, I, I feel like the guy who like I just had to run out to like the bodega to get like a few lukewarm Heinekens because we had company, <laughs> and then I'm like showing up late but welcoming you into my home that you're already sitting in. You're like, I'm on the couch, just past. You're, like, <laughs> you're like, no, that's my chair, but fine, you sit in it. Sure. Don't you feel like lukewarm Heineken? There's probably someone out there who annoyingly would tell you that in Europe that's how you're supposed to drink it. Oh, totally. <laughs> Lukewarm Heineken, a new character from the new Star Wars trilogy <laughs> that'll be coming out next year. Lukewarm um, Harding, <laughs> I am uh, your can, father, can, Luke Cold Heineken. Harding, <laughs> the cold side. That Sorry, was, I, I, I kept trying to pass baton. Uh, Harding, give us give us uh, a little bit of like Everton State of the Union, if you if you could. I mean, doesn't everybody know by now? Like how? Because basically, and if you can hear construction, sorry, but nice. there is it's all the dirty laundry is now out. It's kind of fascinating to see like the things that all the Everton fans were starting to like raise their eyebrows and feel like I'd say starting two years ago, it really started with like Kuman leaving and all that. And like now everybody's like, what the hell is going on? Because I think the lack of transparency with Mashiri and what that board is doing is just, and it's now culminated in brands leaving. I honestly don't know what's going on. We're just so, so confused. So just for the lay, uh, you mean the the owner? Is it? Yeah. Ma- I don't want to butcher his first name. Mashiri. Farhad Mashiri is the I, owner. Yeah. I almost called him Farquad, but that's Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Wayne Rooney at Everton. It's it's Shrek and Farquad. Uh, well, and, and, honestly, and you guys also got the other guy who used to be an Arsenal owner now, right? Uh, Usmanov, is that right? He's like a okay, he was like so literally weird is, roommate or something like that. He's... He's Farhad's like business partner and Farhad Mashiri, his previous life was, I think, like, I think he worked for like accounting firms and things. I feel like he's kind of the money launderer for Usmanov. And so we don't know what their relationship is because he he won't buy the club. There people were hoping maybe we just get all that, you know, oligarch money. But, you know, in terms oh, so of the he's state not of the an club, owner at all. So no, he he. I thought he, he I think he bought like the training ground or something. <laughs> it's all but it's all this weird shady stuff that we're it starting to like, money laundering. Well, like, like the Awobi trade, I think, was a huge one where we were like everybody involved, like everybody <laughs> that looked at that was like Arsenal fans are like, really? You're like, oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> what? It's like it's like the scene in the big short where they're buying all the shorts on the housing market. And they're like, I guess if you want to do that. <laughs> And but yeah, Lord I think Farquaad the, the, in this case is like the stripper who has six <laughs> rental properties. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's so confusing. And I guess for me, I got in on the team in 2014. So David Moyes had just left. And so there was like this really, be, there was this belief that the club was going somewhere. Martinez had just made him finish so high. And like, ever since I've been a fan, it's been every single year is abject failure. It starts out so positive. And just is so depressing by the end. And didn't your director of football just uh, either leave or or mutual termination or something? Marcel like that? Brands. And so he was brought in to be like the genius behind transfers. And then every year we'd bring in all these players, and like some of them were good, but then like you know, I mean, we just it, it's it's all honestly confusing. You know, you, I could spend hours, but the but like in a nutshell, it's like Everton is that is sort of like got a promotion and is now suddenly not sure what they're doing. Like they're, they're woefully <laughs> out of their depth. 
I mean, in a, I feel like I've been through it with my own club uh, in recent years in that since Ferguson left and the Glazers were sort of the sole guiding force for United, they just kind of frantically ran around, like, yeah. spending money. Like, they definitely spent money, but so much of it was just at the whim of whoever the latest manager was. So you have a team that's like a Picasso painting of just, like, all this different <laughs> shit that's been crammed together into, like, a collage. And I just called Picasso a collage artist. And basically, yeah. <laughs> and, and, Sorry and it's for all only... our listeners at the Guggenheim, <laughs> like John Guggenheim is like, well, I used to be a fan, um, <laughs> but but just to finish that up, it's it's not only until they saw like a decade of failure or lack of success where they like, OK, I guess we'll listen to the doctors on this COVID thing. Like it's they're they're finally coming around to other people knowing better than them. And but it sounds like that's kind of what Art Everton's about to do or needs to no, do. No, but then the thing was, is they didn't, it, it, what it sounds like is Marcel Brands didn't actually have any power. And so all of the transfers, there were different approval streams and there wasn't just one central, like this person is in charge of this. And it's, and I think that goes as, as well for probably coaching candidates. I mean, the weirdest thing also is basically Everton is like this, you know, Maybe like not super attractive person, but they're great for a rebound. And, you know, that's what <laughs> Kuman and Ancelotti decided to do. They're like, you know what? I'm just kind of bummed. I don't want to like really date you, but it'll make me feel better. I'll come into town and go on one of the Beatles tours or something. Just, you know, <laughs> enjoy some culture. <laughs> I've been to Liverpool. That's that's maybe the most culture that's there, along with heavy, heavy drinking. I've never had my car stolen in a foreign land before. I think I will go coach in Liverpool. I don't think they'd steal your car. They'd just stab your car. They'd just, they just immediately stab it. You have like a cartoon like Roger Rabbit car that just like screams for a while and <laughs> like is asking for help from any car that drives by. And yeah. they're just like honking. Get out of the way. Well, I'm not even kidding though. When I And I'll, I'll leave it at this. I would really not be shocked if like something comes out and there's like, you know, I wouldn't call it full on money laundering, but like maybe, you know, maybe just some light fraud. <laughs> Very arrested <laughs> development. Uh, yeah. Light, light fraud is like this podcast, like hobby. It's like our our favorite thing to do. It's, ta- it's talking about like the dark belly of the global soccer community. Dark underbelly. That wasn't, I, I, I'm sure I wasn't trying to belly shame. Yeah. Not just the normal I will, belly. I will say this. I do think... I, we Everton fans on the subreddit talk a lot about this is like, we feel like there is a bit of a kindred spirit between us and Arsenal in a little mm-hmm. bit of a sense of like a lot of previous now Arsenal's always been at a higher level consistently than Everton, but lots of previous success, good pedigree. But yeah, more recently it's like, what are we doing in terms of, are we actually trying to build the club? Like, right. and then you get, you have moments a stretches where you're really excited. Like we're back baby. And then it all, Nope. Then you're like, nope, just kidding. Well, is it definitely been the last three or four years of Arsenal in a nutshell? And it's interesting. So I I don't know the kindred spirit thing. Like it might just be, it might be expecting too much of Arsenal fans to show any sort of soul or spirit at this point. We're just sort of (laughs) sucked dry. But like, I, I, I have heard a similar thing. Like the, the thing that I heard that was sort of comparing that, and I don't mean this as an insult, but I do think it's like an interesting sort of like point to think about is basically If you look at the history of Arsenal and Everton, both are clubs that, you know, long history, storied franchises, or, you know, don't want to call them franchises, then you sound too American. But, you know, these storied (laughs) clubs, 
And then, and they've had these great sort of glory years here and there. But before Arsene Wenger, that was sort of all Arsenal were. is like a team that had had a couple good decades since 1886, right? And I think post Arsene Wenger, it's like you had this 20-year period where suddenly we were, you know, at times among the top five clubs in the world, you know, at times maybe even higher than that. And like you sort of, you, you start to get this feeling of like, oh, this is just where we deserve to be. And then you fire the guy who got you there to try to like get more. And we've never, we've never been in the top four since we fired Wenger. And, you know, we've done the same thing that you were just complaining about a minute ago, where it's like, we're chasing our tail, looking for some quick fix, looking for a transfer, like whether, whether it's Pogba or Pepe for 72 million pounds, or, you know, we, there's always this, it's like this instinct to try to fill the fans' hearts or to try to at least fill the seats in the stadium. And I'm not sure that that's how you win football. You know, I think a lot of like the best coaching decisions are made by people who actually know what they're doing and aren't afraid to piss off everyone and have the season ticket holders, you know, tearing up their tickets outside the stadium. And then three weeks later, when we're on a winning streak with a bunch of players you've never heard of, a la Gray, you know what I mean? Then they're taping them back together. And I just don't know if any like any of the three of our clubs really have that in them anymore. They they all seem to me like these desperate dinosaurs just clinging to life and clinging to relevance. But when is the last time any of these clubs have truly been good? Like, which is kind of crazy out of these three, you'd think it'd be recent, you know? Well, it's, if I, if I may, the point you bring up about like Arsenal sort of jumping up a whole tier in the nineties and yeah. in early two thousands, that came from Wenger as an innovator from uh, bringing in like new perspectives on diet and fitness and, and sleep sure. and like this holistic, Making the making the player perform at the best of their ability, yeah, and 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 going for youth and all, and that in, that innovation happened. Now it feels like what what further innovation is there left to achieve yeah. that that isn't achieved For by the reason like Wozniak money? He's not running Apple, you know what I mean? It's like he, he's kind <laughs> yeah. of his stuff is done. Like thanks. <laughs> so how does like an Everton make that jump up to that next tier? Even just being like top six. Uh, inclusive like let's let's say that that's the next tier for Everton Harding like what do you what do you think is it is it as simple as the owner having sort of like a change of of heart or like I mean I don't even understand is he running it as a business or is he trying to win uh, I think I think I think he thinks he's trying to run it like a business but I mean you know as like we've seen with other idiots that have run corporations into the ground like yahoo and things like that i mean you know you can't just buy your way to the top i think unfortunately it's too much like a business and that <laughs> yeah. businesses fail and are and run I by think, adults <laughs> i think it's got to be a change in in how they think about getting up there i think they thought they could just spin their way and suddenly become a top four team and like you, you've got to think longer term and you really have to be realistic that there is a Becoming a team that is maybe more eighth or ninth to becoming a team that is more sixth or seventh, I think, is the more realistic goal. Nobody wants to hear that. Boardrooms don't like to hear that. They're like instant success, quarterly results. And so yeah. I think that's part of it. It's that expectation. I also just think I, I, I always think about like, who are the teams I'm most jealous of? Because I mean, I'd love to have the money of like a Man City. But the ones that always stick out to me are Burnley and Bournemouth. And I know Bournemouth is no longer in the league, but... I just felt like there is such a clear system there. Like Sean Deitch knows what he's looking for, right? He needs rough and tumble players, physical, 
you know, can can play hard and will do the very basic things right. They're not going to dribble around everybody. They're not going to run like Ronaldo, but he knows how to manage that system. And I think Eddie Howe, when he was at Bournemouth, he had a really, he found, he knew all the strengths and weaknesses of his players and he knew how to get consistent results. I think Everton just does the stupid old school thing of like, we're going to get those one or two players that'll make everything better. And it just, when you have a bad team, it's more important that your shitty players are not as shitty as the other shitty players on other teams. But how much of it, I mean, because I I just, I remember for a long time, I had to remind myself, it was like Arsenal was sort of the unofficial fourth place team forever. And I always felt like Everton was the unofficial fifth place team. But then in that time, like over the last 10 years, we've gone from sort of having like a big four to having a big six now, a big yep. six that most people don't include Everton in. So it's right. like, how much do you blame it on you guys screwing up? And how much do you blame it on like, <laughs> like the league has just gotten better. You know what I mean? Like there, Whoa, there are teams yes, uh, that you used to be. Yeah, exactly. Like Aston Villa, <laughs> like there, there, there are teams that are investing because they're all getting TV money. All of them yeah. are richer than the bottom half of any other top league. So, and like, even like Newcastle, who is in the relegation zone right now, like, I'm afraid to see what they're going to look like in three seasons. I'm afraid to see what they're going to look like in the January window. (laughs) How much does humility go into it? I don't know. I'm not in the locker room with these guys, but I just, you go back and you look at like Lester and I know that like Jamie Vardy talks shit, but he, you know, he, he always seemed like he had a lot of humility. Like he's so scrappy. And I just, I look at some of those other teams that seem to succeed in spite of the the money things. And I just, I'm not saying Everton has a ton of prima donnas, but I feel like there's just something about the teams year over year where I just don't feel like they're playing as a team. And I don't mean like the Disney movie, they've got heart. I mean like really understanding and anticipating each other to put together a whole game. Well, you know, You've also chosen like in talking about Leicester. That's another that's another team that that has a playbook that like an Everton could copy. Where Leicester's innovation was in scouting uh, and in trying to find these players that have like the money ball characteristics that they're looking for, but they're in the third division in France or they're well, in the eighth division of a steel mill recreation league. Right. Jamie Vardy. Like, well, we took. Remember, we took Steve Walsh. Everton hired him away from from Leicester. And it was a disaster. And everybody tried to blame Steve Walsh. But then I think like we're seeing with Marcel Brands leaving is, I don't know, who is really making decisions over there? I just, it just doesn't seem clear. It's Steinbrenner. He's making the decisions. Honestly, (laughs) I wouldn't be shocked if there's like an animatronic, like head in a jar type of a situation over there. Get me Costanza. (laughs) I was going to say, Costanza's involved in this too, for sure. (laughs) Honestly, maybe mostly Costanza. That's how it feels. It's like you call up the Everton scouting department. It's like, who could it be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. It could maybe. I mean, another, I think, philosophy that a lot of teams have not employed that I think they could is just doing the opposite of whatever George Costanza would do in the transfer market. Has anyone asked him who he wants to buy? Like, Instead of buying Jamie Vardy, I'm going to make out with Rebecca Vardy? <laughs> Chat shit. I'm going to get banged. (laughs) The get banged means something different in this context. I, you know, now I'm now I'm hungering for George Costanza as a soccer pundit. I would 
I would, oh, I'd put him in a room with like Terry Henry and like. Unbelievable, Terry. <laughs> Ted Lasso season three. It worked for coaching. <laughs> now it works for commentary. Yeah. Ted Lasso. If you're dumb and smile a lot, you'll succeed. <laughs> well, that's like, the American way. Forrest Gump. Like Ralph Rangnick's like, who brought this meatball parmesan? And George, George's like, it's me. I brought it. it was, and he's like, make him my head of scouting. Uh, <laughs> He'd have to change his vocabulary and be like, yeah, well, the wanker store called and they're all out of you. <laughs> uh, the wanker store. It's uh, moments we- like that that I wish we didn't name our podcast before we recorded them. Because I feel like, you know, n- not to hate on the pun that people will eventually see that this is released at, but the wanker store would be a pretty good name for a podcast episode. I mean, this is called an ever ton of problems, so I feel like it's perfectly oh. named. <laughs> I think I, th- I saw ahead with my crystal ball and was like, "This is what we'll be talking about." Mm. Um, Harding, are you are you interested in it all? Also talking about uh, Qatar. Mm. Oh, let's do it. Let's get Qatarded. Um, all right. Stop. <laughs> oh man. So that's so what? <laughs> That's we've I'm I'm on like strike Omicron at this point. Uh, <laughs> we've gone to the Greek alphabet. We've through all the hurricane names. Harding, two two big questions. One, who's going to win the World Cup? Just from where you're sitting, and question two is what's going to happen to the United States and the rest of this qualifying cycle and the tournament. I, if I'm going to pick a winner, I just I feel like I know that recent efforts weren't very good i still look at france just having a ton of talent and most consistent level of talent i mean the other team i might pick is england but i can't pick england come on i don't want them to win that's a tough one. um <laughs> I would, we'd never we'd never ever like for the rest of my england, life i hear about that one of international win. football of man oh. i think this is it for us i think we'll i think it's gonna happen i feel like with the u.s i think i think we'll qualify I think it'll be too, I think it'll be closer than we want it to be. And I think it'll be like all the other freaking results. It'll be in spite of Greg fucking Burhalter. I think <laughs> the guy, GFP. look, I know he means well, but he just has some weird lineups. And I am so, so tired of this mindset of a one point away is a good result. It's Jamaica. We should have beat them three to nothing. Like they can barely bobsled. They're like bobsledding team is like oh. marginal at best. Yeah, it's fun watching the new guys, though. I, 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 you know, I think that remember when remember after 2014, we're like, oh, my gosh, we're stacked with young talent. It's going to be amazing. We're going to we're going to roll. And then we were like, wow, Mike these McGee, players, these, these players suck. And so now we're like, I think, back to having good talent, which has been entertaining. I think what's interesting is I'm curious to see Reina's return. I'm so interested in. What is Polisic's trajectory? Because initially he was soccer Jesus, who's going to save us from everything. And now I think we're realizing he's very good, but maybe not completely world class. He, Reina he potentially really, has a higher ceiling, but well, they both they both have had kind of nasty years to injury. Yeah. Uh, so you got to hope that they have sort of like a um, what's his face the Bayern Aryan an Aryan Robin sort of late in life come to health like coming to health because he was injured 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 until he suddenly was healthy for like his 30s randomly yeah which is not usually how that works i'll say this <laughs> no, if, we beat, <laughs> if we beat mexico in mexico 
I will, I, Greg Burhalter should never have to buy another beer again. Like he will just absolutely owned Mexico all over the place. That would be exciting. That would be exciting. That's, that's only really happened like once in our lifetimes though, hasn't yeah. it? And it was, and it was uh, Jurgen. Wasn't Uncle Yergi? I can't Ooh, I remember. have to say, I, I, I feel like there's a, a lot of parallels there where I think Jurgen in some ways was like, he was like the late career vanger of <laughs> us, where it was like clearly mistakes and problems. But we definitely thought back, like it put that 2015 it was hat on where he got fired. And it's like, oh, well, if we just get rid of this dirt bag, then we'll, we're going to go straight to the top and... So far, we kind of haven't. Well, he 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 put us in a kind of a rough spot by losing the first two matches of qualifying, and then that meant that yeah. like when Arena came in, he kind of had to win out, and even yeah. was almost like was was a the flukest result away from still qualifying. Like it's hard to remember, but like that that second goal that Trinidad and Tobago scored was like a blast from thirty five yards away. Even, that it was like midfield. Well, I don't know. It's like it a crazy story now. It gets more and well, more. and. T- and- Timmy, Timmy's always had troubles with longer balls. Hmm. So, I mean, he... he well, just... and not, the other thing that I thought was really crazy about that, because the only thing that Diggity. we needed that day, we needed, a draw, <laughs> we needed a draw, or we needed Mexico to draw, or we needed Costa Rica to draw. So just right. any of the top three out of six to get a point, one point between the three and, of them, and we were in, and we... And had, one of the games that. was in our favor, right? And then, like, right at the end, was it, like, Panama scored or something? Like, something happened. Panama. And, <laughs> oh, my God. I God, the Jurgen Klinsmann thing, that, re- like... I th- I mean, he also got fired because he, he was very vocal about basically how shitty, like... MLS standards were and like scouting stand like he was basically like your classic German of like this is unacceptable and you know everybody was like yo man you're killing the vibe like we got a good thing going and just be cool a really nice sweater on (laughs) remember those sweaters they were very nice but as much as he ruffled all those feathers, like you got to think there's still a lasting impact on a lot of the things he was right on. Like I think our our scouting and our youth. I don't want to say our youth coaching because we recently were without a youth coach at almost every youth level for our national team. But other than that, it's identifying players younger, uh, those players coming up through academies and jumping over to Europe younger, which is all what he was saying was like necessary. All of that's been happening and we've been reaping results from that. Like, so I would say that he, he would have been a better technical director than coach. And if he was, he'd probably would still be here. And I, I will say this: he, hats off to the people behind the scenes that kept that ball rolling. Because it, you know what I mean. Like I, yeah. when when we fired him, I sort of thought, "Great, so now we have Bruce Arena, and we're gonna get rid of all these sort of infrastructural things that he had done for us." And luckily, that seems to not be the case. I, I think that what Jurgen did is just even outside of the organization is just. I think he shifted enough mindsets in the fans of like. This is what players now we need to demand that our best players go to Europe and develop like the MLS is not where they should go. And like, I love MLS, but it's a different thing. I don't love it because I want the best players to go there. And I think like the the best example was like Jordan Morris. I'm like, really, Mm. dude, really? Like, do I think he would have started at Man U? Probably not. But I just was like. That is such, and, and so I'm hoping that in the future we we don't have any more Jordan Morris situations. We have players who are hungry, because like even remember Landon Donovan, 
he like couldn't hack it over there. He was like always talking about like players are mean and it's all these California boys. They're just like, yeah. oh, man, I just want to go to college, hit some hacky <laughs> sack in the quad, toss around a B. Skyler's uh, making a lot of hang, hang loose gestures with his hands. It's the uh, <laughs> pinky and the thumb extended as he says this. Uh, bro, <laughs> look at my puka shell necklace. I'm wearing two collared shirts to get around dress code. <laughs> um, sorry, that was a little Catholic school, but yeah, like it's a mentality though of like I'm comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable, but like. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Rodrigo at Madrid is like I'm gonna leave brazil which is uh, like a very inclusive world for me and i'm gonna go to spain in the in the, the you know the toughest microscope i can put myself under and i don't want to ever leave the the difficulty that i've placed myself into like that's not jordan morris and that's not for all his talent that's not landon donovan either so like as much as landon was our best player ever by virtue of just his raw talent like he he will be eclipsed, I think, many times over by these younger prospects that are leaving home at 15, 14. Yeah. I mean, Pulisic isn't that far from eclipsing him already, right? Like, he's had oh, a he, better club career already between I, Dortmund I, if and... If he stays he healthy, it's going to totally happen. Yeah. And I mean, also, just from a goal scoring, like, he will break, all, like, Landon's goal contribution records easily, I think. Yeah. Although, I mean, part of that's position, but yeah. I mean, no, they kind of look same, roughly the same position because Landon was like striker, second striker, winger, attacking midfield. Like he just kind of needed to be up, up there. the field. Like Harding, <laughs> do you were you watching when he went to Everton for that, um, like loan period? No, I just missed it, but I, like oh. I went back and watched highlights of it. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. the The fans apparently really liked him. They're like, wish we could have kept hmm. him. He seemed like a valuable addition and i mean this was before i was like deep into it but did he he basically didn't stay just because he didn't want to right like that was his deal in everton and i know he'd also been over at bayern munich but i think he wasn't playing as much there well it was also just a loan so everton would have had to purchase a what 28 year old player whatever his age was at that point and it, yeah. his value to mls is so high a for american attached to him <laughs> they would have charged they would have charged uh, a lot like th- think about how josie altador is worth something to mls but worth nothing to any <laughs> other club oh. um was- so you so harding so you think we're gonna make it out of the group or not even make it out of the group i mean I, I, the new format's weird like it's kind of crazy to look at like how many teams are now in it and and you know who is it? Panama's hanging on there. And oh, sorry. Or... I meant, I meant like presuming oh. qualification. Uh, oh. and, I, and I know that we, you know, we don't see the group that we're in for like another half a year, but like, I, I'm feeling just with the talent level of this team and like their ceiling, like, what do you think they could do? I, it's hard for if I'm being realistic, it's hard for me to, to see them, to see us doing really anything other than what we typically do, which is get out of the group and then maybe put up a good fight in the next round. But I think that this level of talent, and again, it depends on the opponent, I think we'd be poised to go past the first knockout game better. That all depends on who stays healthy and, again, who we're up against. Because a lot of those national teams are, like, stacked. Is there an extra... With with more teams... Are there more teams in this next World Cup, or is it the same amount as always, and then the following World Cup is when they're expanding... Like an expanded March Madness kind of thing. Following? No, stand up. Okay, so then you you think we could 
maybe repeat our 2002 run or is that a, 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 a step further? That seems really difficult. But then again, I, you know, I mean, I think people forget how good that team was in terms of, I think, pound for pound. It wasn't like the most world class, but I, that was a good group of players. And they were all in their prime. They were all like yeah. 20, 26 to 30 in that range. And that was why I think they kind of peaked in 2002. Yeah. So this so who- theoretically, this year's group would be, their peak peak would be another four years off. Theoretically. Pika Wow. In, in the words of Everton fans, we'll be real good in a couple years is what you're saying. <laughs> No, no, no! It's coming! It's coming! <laughs> well, in the, the words of Arsenal is, fans as well. well <laughs> now that the young talent pipeline has been switched on, I feel like it's just going to keep going, and, and like those young players that are great are going to be pushed by the guys right behind them. We're yeah. going to be pushed by the guys right behind them, and like this next uh, World Cup, I think you know, I don't know how many new faces will be added that will be a surprise, but like your Reynas and your Aronsons and whatnot will be playing starring roles, and we've got. There are guys who are like 15-year-old central midfielders in Barcelona's La Masia right now. So, like, those types of players, like, if they keep bubbling to the top, 2026, when it's here, my, they may have really hit the jackpot with the timing of that World That's Cup bid. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think we also need to just, you know, in order to drive demand, at a, starting at a very young age for, like, people to want to get into soccer, we just need to have our best players come over here and flaunt as much of their wealth as possible. I think, I think it's really important for the bling to be so kids understand like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to make so much money. If I do this, we got to hire that- a, like a chief TikTok agent for the national team. <laughs> Who just holds up necklaces and points yeah. them. <laughs> check out the drip with Pulisic. Or we just have to do teach the, that guy how to do the jerk dance. Like. The, yeah, the Geo Reina challenge, which is I think you spin around twice and then hurt your ankle for three months. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> a, an NYCFC Academy player, I might add. Was he? Oh, I just, was, one, one, one final question for you, Harding. Yes. With, so you're a, a NYCFC fan and an Everton fan. Is there any, do you ever feel sort of dirty like you're just supporting Man City? in some way like it's so right like yeah it looked since day one because when i first saw the i didn't pay attention i don't even think i was aware that this was happening but then i found out randomly that the, i was like oh this is perfect timing right after the world cup mm. um and i didn't know anything yet and when i saw the like one of the first pictures i was like wait a minute wait a minute <laughs> no it is not ideal it's not ideal because yes i know it's terrible oil money and all that stuff i think what I have liked is it's been interesting to see the city, the city group, their marketing is so oftentimes so like, you know, a bunch of suit and ties in a boardroom trying to come up like, you know what New York city people like graffiti. Hot dogs. <laughs> Let's do graffiti for, for our graphics. And people are like, that's from like the eighties, man. Like, you know, like, and so it's been fun to see the more organic, pieces of fan culture. Like one of them is uh, there's a group of supporters that sit, I think it's like 227 and they call themselves chicken bucket FC. because <laughs> one, of, one of the food items there is literally a pail with chicken tenders and fries. Like you're a wow. dirty animal. Eat your slop. It's pig. so much food. I've gotten it. It's, so it's gross. It's like 6,000 calories. 
And they also started like a Hawaiian shirt night, which the which the <laughs> team started copying. And I think the whole pigeons thing is really like people are like, what's the nickname? It's like, we're a bunch of dirty pigeons. Come on. So that's been kind of fun. So like, I think we've had to kind of push the organization to to say, you know, you, you need to listen to us if you want like a little bit more of the, the New York culture pieces. You can't just be like ah, hot dogs and taxis. Yeah, and I'm walking here. You know what? <laughs> It's not ideal, but it's also like the sad reality of like modern football. Like it's yeah. all going to be, I mean, look where the World Cup's being played. You know what like, the fans love? The fans love the smell of four-day-old burning charcoal from the back of an old nut stand. So let's I make do, that a mascot. Yeah, I think they, I, the, the last thing I'll say is I do think the fans have been very good and influential in it got off to such a terrible start when they got Lampard and then they were like, oh yeah, but he's going to go play at Man City. And we were like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> um, they've really gone away from that and there's still a little bit of that overlap, but I think that we've, we're continually trying to make sure that they understand, look, we, we, I don't hate being part of a bigger group. I think it's hilarious when Red Bulls make fun of that for us. Um, <laughs> they're also they're a giant guy. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's up to the fans to continue to kind of, quote unquote, educate the, the marketing department, because I quite frankly, I think half of it's over probably in the UK. Probably. I wouldn't Spe- be shocked. Speaking of Red Bulls, uh, Manchester United has just hired assistant manager Chris Armis. Really? I, I kept reading it and kept thinking it was a Twitter prank. Uh, so this was a man who in his last season as a head coach in MLS for Toronto, I think had like one win and seven losses before getting fired. And so it's the greatness that we are importing to Manchester United. It's what we've been missing since Fergie retired. Re-coaching level there. No, that would make more sense. <laughs> You know, like, you bring up, but this is a good example also of like where I do think MLS can be a great training ground is for coaches. And I think if hmm. the league can be a place where really aspiring coaches can come and do, do things, I, you know, we had Jason Christ as our first year head coach and he was terrible. He's like your classic MLS guy, nice guy. But then it was Patrick Vieira completely changed everything for us. Like hmm. he was the start of the team playing more like modern football tactics and, and scouting the right talent. And so while I maybe don't want, you know, our homegrown players to, to all go there, I do think the coaching thing is interesting because I think it'll be, you know, we're not going to be the only league that like that, but I think if, if we can be a stepping stone to something else, I think that that would help the league a lot. And Harding, on that note, uh, we got a bounce, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for being an incredible guest and thank for, for, for rolling with the punches. Well, uh, happy to do it. I wish you okay, a, a lot of luck. <laughs> Have me back anytime. You guys are lovely. Oh, that's really nice you know, ill-advised to compliment us. Uh, <laughs> but, but thank you so much, and we will uh, we'll be back uh, another time. So uh, click the theme song button, and this is the theme song. <laughs> So later. See you later, haters.